So if you haven't already, let's turn to Matthew chapter 21, and we'll stand and we'll uh, read 23 to 32 together. And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing too, which if you tell me, I will also tell you what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they all hold John to be a prophet. In answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in, in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And he came to the second son and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Yet, he afterward regretted it and went. So which of the two did the will of his father? Jesus said. They said, the latter, or the second son. Truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the, but the tax gatherers and harlots did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for your word. Um, we're grateful uh, just how rich it is and, and that Jesus came down and, and lived amongst us to uh, relate to us and um, show us how to relate to you. And um, I just pray you can... Help this message be clear to everyone and, and open their hearts to hear what you have to say and uh, help us leave today with a better understanding of how to relate to you and, and, and how we can love you better. Uh, in your name, amen. So before we get started in our text in verse 23, I want to take a couple steps back and give you guys a little running start into how Jesus got here, uh, where he's at in uh, verse 23. So if you look a little further back, starting in verse 10 of the same chapter 21, we see here that Jesus had entered Jerusalem. And from there, verse 12 we now see this is where Jesus entered the temple to cast out all who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats to those who were selling doves. It says in there in verse 12. Later on in 17, after he's done all this, we see there that he left that evening, stayed the night in Bethany, and lodged there the, the night. Verse 18 now, he says, now in the morning... He comes back to Jerusalem, and then he has his interaction with the fig tree, and we get to our verse now in verse 23 in our passage, 
where he's now back in Jerusalem teaching at the temple there. So verse 23 doesn't give us a lot of details on what Jesus is teaching. But in the same account in Luke 20, verse 1, it actually says there that he was teaching and preaching the gospel. So although that still doesn't reveal a lot, it gives us a little bit of information that I think is a nice picture to see. We also don't get a lot of information on how large the crowd is that he's teaching or how many. Um, if I was to take a guess, I'd say there's definitely um, not just teaching to one or two people. The temple would be full of people and he most likely would be teaching a crowd. So in verse 23, while Jesus is teaching and preaching, the chief priests and elders of the temple come to ask him a question. They ask him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? See, this question the leaders were asking was coming with a, some hidden motivation. I don't believe that they were genuinely wondering who had given Jesus this authority. In the same account in Mark, chapter 11, verse 18, right after Jesus cleanses the temple, so the very day before this, this question is asked to him, it says there that they, the, they were seeking to destroy him after this cleansing of the temple because they were afraid of him. So we get a little insight onto the mindset of how the uh, chief priests and elders felt about Jesus. And it's crazy to think that one day after Jesus coming in there and turning tables and cleansing this temple, he's back in there again, right in, right in the midst of it, teaching and preaching the very next day. So the chief priests and elders' question was actually meant to trap Jesus into making a claim that they could somehow use to destroy him. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus makes this claim about himself. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when I thought of this, I instantly thought, this seems to be a very straightforward answer that Jesus could use to these uh, chief priests and elders. That would make sense and add to their question. This most likely was the answer that they were maybe looking for in order to use against Jesus. So him being as smart as Jesus is, instead of approaching the, their question directly, he cleverly asks them a question back that challenges their hearts. In verse 24 and 25. And Jesus answered them and said, I will ask you one thing too, which if you tell me, I will also tell you, by the authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? So remembering what John's baptism on his, or his ministries was about. If it's been a while since you've looked, it's a very detailed account in Luke chapter 3. And it starts in verse 3. And there it says, 
He came into all the districts around Jordan and preaching and baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. Later on in verse 8, we see after you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you understand this, he then claims to you and says, bring forth fruits in keeping of repentance in verse 8. So now that he makes this statement to you, they ask, they, they ask John afterwards in verse 10, they say, well, what should we do after to keep repentance? And there, afterwards, he responds in 11 to 14, and he says this. He answered them and said, let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. And some tax gatherers also came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. So we see here that John is claiming a different life that must occur after your baptism and forgiveness of sins. Now this doesn't necessarily mean like in our text here in uh, Luke 3, that you have to change your job per se, but sometimes it may be how you do your job or um, the ethics within it. So John's ministry included two major things. Preparing their heart, so the belief of the Messiah to come and, and the forgiveness of sins. And the second was the works that followed this. The repentance and life change that was required alongside the commitment to believing in the Messiah. Now before the, before the spiritual leaders answered this question that Jesus asked them about John's baptism, I think we can get a little insight on their mindset from Matthew chapter 3 verse 9. And there it says they actually believe themselves to be in right standing with God from having Abraham as their father. So they, they believe through their lineage and their blood that they did not require this baptism that John was talking about. So ultimately now, Jesus' question proposed a big dilemma for them in verse 25 and 26. After Jesus asked them this question, they, they, says, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say John's message is from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they hold John to be a prophet. So on one hand, you have them having to take the side of John's message being from heaven. And Jesus then will say, if it is from heaven, then you must have believed, and why not? Also, if they believe it's from heaven, they also then will have to claim that Jesus is Messiah. And based upon how they felt when he cleansed the temple, we see that they definitely don't want to claim that. On the other hand, if they say it's from men, then they go against the crowd and and they fear this crowd because they also think that John uh, was a prophet of God. 
So they could not face the humiliation of being wrong about not believing John and his message and Jesus as Messiah. But they also couldn't stand the thought of having to face the rejection of the Jewish people which they are spiritually leading and say that John was not a prophet of God. So how are they going to answer? Well, instead of being bold and choosing one side, they do what snakes do and they slither out. Verse 27 tells us what they said. In answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And he also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, they thought they were being so smart by not choosing one of Jesus' answers from his question. Not being pinned down to their um, theology, per se. But what they didn't realize was that they set themselves up for a rebuke from Jesus in his parable from 28 to 30. And there it says, Jesus asked them, what do you think of this? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Yet afterward, regretted it and went. So I do realize that some, some uh, translations swap the sons. So... In my translation to NASB, uh, we have the I will son first and the I will not son second. Um, so I will try my best not to refer them as the first and second son because that can be confusing if you have a different translation. But it doesn't matter the order. Um, it does not change the, the principle of what we're doing. So in our parable, we have a father with two sons. We notice here that this father has authority over both of them. And we see this because of his command to work. When he says to them, go work today in the vineyard. He's not giving them an option. It's a command and he's telling them to do this. But we see a big difference in the two sons and how they responded to their father. The one son says, I will, and chooses not to go. See, this son uses his words to claim obedience to his father, but his actions actually show disobedience. The second son says, or sorry, not second. The I will not son says, I will not, but afterward regretted it and went. This son was defiant or disobedient at first, felt conviction and repented and did what his father commanded him. So Jesus then asks the leaders to choose in this parable. In 31, he said, which of the two did the will of his father? Finally, Jesus is able to get an answer out of them and get them to choose a side rather than popping out. And they say the son that did his father's will was the son that went afterwards, even though he said no initially. So this answer was correct. And Jesus now, even though their answer was right, and they probably felt really great about that, Jesus has a response to them in verse 31 and 32 that must have just floored them. He says there, 
Truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. Because John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax gatherers and harlots did believe him. And you see, and you, seeing this, didn't, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. So now we can see, after Jesus' response to their answer, that the son that claimed obedience initially but did not obey represents the spiritual leaders here. And the other son, that in his initial disobedience and then conviction and response to follow what the father had to say is the tax gatherers and the harlots. So Jesus now tells them that there are eternal consequences waiting for them because of their disbelief in John's baptism and what it represented. And he substantiates this in verse 32. And the first thing we see there is Jesus actually answers his original question to them about John's baptism. He says, John came to you in the way of righteousness. So John's baptism was from heaven. And we can see in verse 32, he says there that they rejected this message. They did not believe him. They rejected the message of the coming Messiah and the forgiveness of the sins with that. And not only this, the second half of 32, he says, you rejected the message, not only the message, but when you saw the tax gatherers and the harlots believing and repenting and changing their lives, it still had no impact on your belief. What's so big about the second part of that 32, about seeing and witnessing, is that we know for a fact they actually would have seen multiple things happening with many people. I'll give you three examples of just tax gatherers and harlots alone. Levi, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, tax gatherer. Jesus approaches him and says, follow me. Says there he left everything behind and followed Jesus. A physical representation of a repentance and changing their way to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 verse 8 it actually says there so Zacchaeus is a tax gatherer and he's been chasing after Jesus looking for him finally gets to him and he comes to Jesus Jesus doesn't even say anything to him and he says half of my I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor and not only that my heart's so convicted, I'm actually going to pay back four times anything that I defrauded to someone. And then how about the weeping prostitute in Luke chapter 7? Verse 38 says she was weeping, washing, her, washing his feet with her tears and her hair, anointing him with perfume. She didn't even say a word. Her actions were so evident of who Jesus was and, and her sin and how it related to him that in verse 48 of that chapter 7 Jesus forgives her sins for her belief in him. So here are three examples 
that these fair or these chief priests and elders would have witnessed and seen the power of um, the message of God and, and changed their lives. These are examples of tax gatherers and harlots that they would have seen. They saw firsthand the repentance and commitment of these people, the tangibility and power of God's message and what it can do to people's lives, and they still didn't believe. So, because of that unbelief, the tax gatherers and harlots will see the kingdom of God before them. So, Jesus is saying here, there has to be a belief and understanding of who Jesus is as the Messiah. Recognizing you have sin that only God can take care of. Then a lifestyle afterwards that reflects that commitment and a repentant heart for God. So my challenge today to everyone here and anyone that's hearing this, this message from God today is let's be honest with yourself now between you and God and ask yourself which son would your life more represent today? The priests and the elders? Where they claim claiming obedience to God but don't accept Jesus for who He truly is? Seeing that you will live for God and even looking like it from the outside but when it comes time to do what He has commanded you choose not to obey? Remember, Jesus says in John 14, verse 15 there, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or are you more like the tax gatherer in Harlot? Where today, you now, you're, today you're recognizing ways in your life that you may have a disobedient heart, but you feel convicted about it. So are you going to act on that conviction now and believe? truly believe and express that belief with a repentant heart and a lifestyle that is fully surrendered to Jesus. So, I have two, two lessons today. Lesson one. In order for one to be right with God, two things must occur. Number one. One must understand who Jesus is and the sin that they have in their life that can only be paid for by or with his blood. And we can see that again from the message that John brought when he came baptizing people in the Jordan River. It says he was baptizing them and they were confessing their sins while they were being baptized. I can come back to these later if you need them. Number two, one must now reflect after this understanding and commitment a lifestyle of a repentant heart from their sin and a surrender to the, surrender their life to Jesus and His commandments. It's not only a belief intellectually. You have to show this belief in action. And the chief priests and elders were showing that they were missing both.
Lesson two, there are eternal consequences to empty claims and a hypocritical lives toward your commitment to God. Jesus makes a very harsh and very truthful statement to them, to the chief priests and elders in 31, and he says, the tax gatherers and harlots will get to the kingdom of God before you. The way they were conducting their lives and the way they understood who Jesus was was eternally uh, separating them from God. Or another way to say lesson two, like Laura said to the other day, she said, don't claim, then defame the name, or you'll get maimed. So that's all I have for today.